0: one and all man before i get too deep into this monologue yeah it's likely looking like we're approaching the five-week point maybe even six by now um (laughs) so you know i don't know what to tell you uh it's a far cry from the consistency that i previously promised for sure Uh, but we all know what they say about best intentions i'm no different uh, the last time we talked about some killer shit in terms of tunes and uh, this one I hope will follow the standard that I've set for myself. Have I set a standard for myself? Uh, these are all good questions. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna toot my own horn. That's tired. <laughs> no spoilers yet because I know we kind of skipped over this next crucial section last time around. Uh, But I'm going to touch on what I've been spinning again because I think it works to both illustrate that I'm not a fucking one-trick pony and that I have other shit going on behind what I put on your plates here. Oh, and uh, before I just kind of gloss over it, big news for this week, I ordered the BMX Classic Rad from Vinegar Syndrome and... (laughs) I urge all of you, also stuck in a black hole of nostalgia, to do the same. Helltrack for life! Alright, so what has been on the platter and in the decks? As I like to say, what have I been spinning most frequently? Well, it's a lot of shit, but I narrowed it down to three, as I usually do. We're going to start off with Manowar, Kings of Metal, released in 1988 by Atlantic Records. A Manowar out of Auburn, New York. Um, It has been a running joke that I am too serious if I didn't appreciate at least some facet of Manowar's shtick beyond finding the homie Dormar's may your swords always be wet tramp stamp utterly fucking hysterical. Now that's a bit of an inside joke among friends. I don't expect you to get it. If you do get it, then uh, consider yourself part of that circle, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Back on track. I revisited some of their 80s era, and honestly, I I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Uh, While I always consider Ross the Boss's first and best home, The Dictators, this shit is my fucking jam, and his guitar on here is is on fucking point. Uh, Wheels of Fire, Kings of Metal, Hail and Kill, Goddamn Jammers, and Defy You to Not Feel Some Sort of Empowerment When Eric Adams Bellows, Other Bands Play, Man of War Kills! Totally infectious. Totally fun. There's no way to listen to this without the dumbest fucking grin ever plastered on your mug. Now, Cannibal Corpse, created to kill. A little bit of a change of pace. Uh, this was recently reissued uh, by Reek of Death 2019 and Cannibal Corpse, of course, out of Tampa, Florida. Um, so let's lay this shit out on the table. I love filthy old American death metal. I've never hid that. Never, Never said I didn't. The Tampa scene is one I hold an especially deep appreciation for. Uh, The Barnes era of Cannibal Corpse was a special behemoth of bludgeoning ferocity that instilled listeners with both awe and horror at the visceral and unabashedly insane dementia captured on their first four records. When Barnes left after the bleeding, which, you know, in retrospect, um, honestly, probably my favorite Morris Sound recording, uh, the group recruited Corpse Grinder from fellow Tampa destroyers, Monstrosity. A fucking Imperial Doom. Easily one of the most underrated death metal records to come out of Florida. Fight me on that, suckers. Cannibal Corpse inherently lost that sense of morbid, feral putridity. Long story short, uh, I see that newfangled logo, and my interest immediately dissipates to disdain. Uh, well, in 2000, the demo for what would be re- re-recorded as a vile. Was uncovered, uh, but prior to Barnes' departure, the shit is fucking gold. It's gnarly, rough, and brutal death metal, not too removed from the bleeding, but since it's a demo, it also recaptures that grime that they clung to on *Eaten Back to Life* and *Butchered at Birth*. Fucking essential. Uh, and then, last *Coven*, blessed is the black, 1987 Ever Rat Records out of Seattle, Washington. Fuck, for kids growing up in the Seattle scene, *Coven*'s debut was Notorious, Uh, a legendary-as-fuck recording of some of the sloppiest American thrash and power metal imaginable uh, with a punk-as-fuck attitude that gave zero shits about being as offensive as possible. From the album art to the recording, thin-as-fuck guitar tone bolstered by a chugging bass and simple rhythms that drive the cacophony forward, uh, the tracks are all outrageous, (laughs) honestly, starting with the title track but also personified by ragers like 6669, Burn the Cross, Creature of Duty and My Duty is Death, Land Massacre, but most infamously, their anarchic spirit is captured by the massive Iron Dick. Full of skank beats and gang shouts, and some of the most infantile lyrics emblazoned on the record. It's a fucking riot, all told. Like Local Heroes the Accused, or NME, Total Neanderthal Tunage, like Manowar, just a stupid, good time. So where the fuck do I dive into this? This is a, it's going to be a long one, no lie. Um, And this is one that goes back to my earliest vision of what high defamation would eventually become, uh, like the first episode where we covered Disclose. I initially had intentions to bring what we're going to be covering here today to life in print. Um, Hell, I had the fucking page layouts done and everything, uh, but I just couldn't wrap my head around the text. It's a lot to mull over, honestly, um, but we're diving in. We're going to talk about Venice. Uh, This is certainly not a definitive list of shit that Venice offered punks and thrashers during its heyday, but uh, more of a starting point, uh, I guess, and at least even more specifically, the shit I was turned on to way the fuck back then. Um, I came onto a lot of this stuff randomly back in the day, which contributes to one of the reasons I think people asking, where do I start with X genre? is kind of a fucking loaded question, uh, especially when you're speaking regionally, because honestly, what were scenes but regional stalwarts representing their tribe? Uh, When talking about Seattle Metal, you'd have to mention the accused and fucking Queensryche, and they sounded nothing alike. So it makes these sort of exercises uh, total quandaries. Um, Conveniently, Venice had a particular sound that was pretty unmistakable. Uh, That suicidal record sound, thanks in no small part to uh, Mike Muir's Suicidal Tendencies, who, yeah, we're going to get to them, I promise. Uh, For me, the experience started with a band that initially had nothing audibly in common with any of the heavyweights that we're going to be covering. Uh, I know we've talked about coming up on 80s American Hardcore like an incorrigible parrot who only ever learned, like, three phrases, but... It's true, and I'm probably going to default to that countless more times. Um, beyond starter pack stuff, I think it's in most people's natures to dive deeper, so I was completely entrenched in shit like subculture out of Winston-Salem. Um, there, I Heard a Scream LP was dark. It was raucous and infectiously angst-ridden in a brazenly snotty fashion that, that begs to be heard. It still holds up. Uh, or Chicago's Naked Ray Guns, Throb Throb. Uh, still to this day, my favorite of theirs, an apocalyptic wave of driving, skanking rhythms and grooves that harbored a maturity not often seen in the fucking scene. Seen in the fucking scene. Inception. Now Add to that Reagan Youth from New York City and the Youth Anthems for a New Order album, which was an implosive dissertation on dangerous fucking punk. And yeah, there was SNFU out of Canada with No One Else Wanted to Play, a record indebted to horror and schlock but that fucking rocked. Um, I was led eventually to Cali shit like Blast and RKL, at which point someone suggested I snagged the tape Reagan's Inn by Wasted Youth. Now, the album came out in 81, and if you had an ear to the ground for SoCal punk from that era, you probably knew what it sounded like without even hearing it. A mishmash of vandals, DI, germs-inspired noise, it was a blast to listen to. A mainstay in my car in high school for fucking sure. Uh, this is America, man. Fuck authority. Now let's hear that shit. Wasted Youth kind of got lost in the shuffle, and uh, they did pretty much nothing for like five solid years before releasing a solid follow-up with Get Out of My Yard. That's uh, 1986, if you're not doing the math. Uh, Founder Chet Lehrer, whose older brother Lucky was a stalwart in the far more acknowledged Circle Jerks, to my knowledge, was the only original member left in the lineup. And the sound went from roughshod germs worship to something more metallic. Fun fact, the new logo on the record cover was drawn by a certain wrestling aficionado named David Arquette, who you may have heard of. Now, here's a just a, a kind of a funny aside. Uh, my wife and I just watched Airheads last night. You know, the uh, Brendan Fraser, Steve Buscemi, Adam, Sh- uh, Adam Chandler, Sandler, vehicle of utter hilarity, and David Arquette. Fucking prime David Arquette in that movie. Um Now, it's by no means mandatory. Back to wasted use, follow up, get out of my yard. Definitely not mandatory, but I bought it due to association and it did boast some fucking bangers for sure. We're going to rock one out right now. That was the track uh, tormented which is uh, probably my favorite cut off of get out of my yard um now two years later la's wasted youth returned with what would be their final offering black days gone was the tag scrawl of the short-lived logo from 86 and they'd adopted a much more metallic script utilizing <gasps> old english and cover art from the notorious michael Seif. receive i don't know how to pronounce his last name never have I'm going to probably mispronounce it all fucking night. Uh, who will be coming up several more times today? As artwork, fucking unmistakable. Now, musically, it was a wild departure from the sloppy punk that preceded it, owing basically everything to the sound of the roster at Suicidal Records. But other than ST at the time, I had no basis for comparison, and the shit fucking slammed. The epic, The Gift of Death, found its way onto the Leatherface uh, soundtrack that's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre for three for those of you that are not horror hounds. Uh, there was even MTV Airplay for the insanely mosh-worthy Good Day for a Hanging. They had gone from third-rate hardcore to raging pit anthems that rivaled Exodus. Uh, guitar work was intense. The rhythms were tight as fuck. And the polished vocals of Apollo were leaps and bounds more catchy than on Get Out of My Yard. Uh, unequivocally, in my opinion, uh, and people will probably argue me to death with this, uh, their magnum opus. Now, we're going to actually... Take a peek one of the tracks, my favorite track on the album, and I already mentioned it, Good Day for a Hangin'. Check it out. <laughs> track so good just so good um and now you're probably itching for a heavy hitter at this point i promise we're gonna get to them but uh, the guys we're about to get into have just as much longevity if not more than some of the other folks on this list uh, six full lengths to their names three of which i'd certify as classics i'm talking about the inimitable beowulf specifically their debut on Mike Muir's Suicidal Records, which set the bar in 86 for a skatable crossover. Now imagine, if you will, a bastard hybrid of suicidal and motorhead, and you'll start to formulate some idea of what you'll find on Beowulf's self titled LP. Driving. Could I even say motor charged? Probably could. Crossover for the Surface Slam set. I always imagine this permanently stuck inside the jam box present at every half pipe in socal at the time and once you hear it you'll understand why uh dudes looked like cholos rock lokes and bandanas and unremorsefully expressed a love for hard drugs and alcohol i love this shit it's catchy melodic as fuck driving crossover punk that has maybe only rivaled by their idols in suicidal no mercy check it out beowulf debut and yep if you're looking at the album that's another cover courtesy of michael seif Seif. i don't know man probably my favorite piece of his uh but everything he did is fucking gold beowulf would follow up their debut with two more classics that would become progressively more polished and lost a lot of the roughness that makes the debut so goddamn endearing Uh, lost my head but i'm back on the right track Probably a close second for me, Uh, as aside from the polish, it's business as usual for these hooligans driving skate rock that doesn't care if your parents disapproved of the lyrics. The template is the same, and as they say, don't fix something that isn't fucking broken. of their second album lost my head uh a lot of liquor references and unfortunately beowulf did not age like a fine liquor i've never been able to sit through any of the albums that followed unsentimental which came out like mid 90s Uh, and i'd go so far as to say what i have heard from 2011's jesus freak is just straight trash Uh, the mighty have definitely fallen here now moving on when I was a youngster, we had this small chain called Cellophane Square. I couldn't begin to recount the attempts at obtaining work there that uh, I committed, but it was a lot. Uh, it was one of those spots that rewarded weird resumes, handwritten with paint pen on the back of a Count Chocula box? Check. Scrawled in red crayon on a laminated cutout of Sunday's obituaries? Check. I got the call back for my last try of typing it out using the cover of Punisher War Journal, and while waiting for my interview, I picked up The Jokes On You by Excel, so yeah, I'm moving backwards here because while at the same time there was a lot that I liked about the record, it didn't stick with me the way the debut Split Image did. That's that's what we're focusing on here first. Um, Originally co-released by Suicidal and Caroline Records in 87, everything that didn't click with the follow-up is on point here. Savage, razor-sharp guitars that evoke that ST vibe aplenty, surf rhythms and that typical Cali hardcore monotone that... Not everyone loved, but I think it's endearing as fuck. Uh, Michael Seif, cover art. Yeah, fucking yep. <laughs> a lot of these bear his artwork. And it's 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 fitting. Uh, the opening track is a scathing reminder of everything good about the suicide, angst-ridden teenage nonsense. But a band that was tight as hell and came fucking correct. The gem on this wax is easily the title track, so... Let's fucking slam to that. So we just heard two back-to-back tracks uh, first one being title track of Excel's debut split image the second one make up your mind now I played that one because before their 87 debut I think they popped up on most people's radars due to their inclusion on the welcome to Venice comp that suicidal records uh, unleashed in 1985 uh, now that is what that track came off of uh, out of three that they contributed Uh, and they're all raw, blistering, hardcore thrashers that match the preceding artist's beat for beat. And it's an intimidating lineup of Venice Faces on that comp. You've got Suicidal, Beowulf, No Mercy, the former and the latter we've yet to talk about. Um, But since I literally just name-checked them... (laughs) Shit. Uh, Let's dive into the infamous fucking No Mercy widespread bloodshed dropped like a fucking bomb in 86 one year after appearing on that welcome to venice comp that shot them into the ears of all the punk heshers in socal where evil was a fucking opening salvo of intent that upped the ante of suicidal's 83 debut uh, with psycho mike doing his damnedest to make sure they ended up on parental watch lists everywhere (laughs) oh and there's another fucking piece of michael Seif dementia adorning this butte for what it's worth Uh, Next to that Beowulf cover, probably my second favorite It's Fucking Rules. Uh, Would love to have a banner of it just hanging on my wall. Awesome. Uh, It didn't stop, though. The whole record rages with a wicked polish that a lot of the other projects on here lacked to some degree. And that's probably partly due to the combined efforts of Mir and Mike Clark, who... Shortly after, this ended up a full-time contributor to Suicidal Tendencies as well. This whole album is the ultimate monument to the Venice crossover scene, and it would have been sick as fuck had they decided to keep at it, but the project was important enough that Suicidal basically covered all the best cuts on their controlled-by-hatred-feel-like-shit-deja-vu record in 89. For my money, while the entire thing threatens to destroy all, it bucks being completely lethal until this fucking banger hits shit goes straight off the chain
1: my life that's right
0: That was my own way of life off of No Mercy's widespread bloodshed. Fucking incredible record. Um, and We're going to move right on to basically what No Mercy became or was comprised of. There are many debates as to how No Mercy related to suicidal. Other than that, they had interchangeable members. But fuck, I guess it's about time we get to ST who basically spearheaded this wave of raucous anthems and speedy seedy tantrums speedy seedy tantrums (laughs) you know i script a little bit of these things but when when i try to just go off the top of my head i end up in these fucking tongue twisters anyway the mighty fucking suicidal tendencies yeah i shouldn't have to say much about these stalwarts hardcore thrash here's another fun another fun contest we can run how many times have i said stalwart today just it's it keeps coming up in my vocabulary um their self-titled debut is a masterpiece of hardcore fury and it's so embedded upon the scene it's inescapable anyone in my age group that came up similarly immediately thinks about suicidal if pepsi gets mentioned uh it's second fucking nature i saw your mommy and your mommy's dead Fucking forget about it. Watershed album. That was fucking
1: nineteen eighty-three. I shot Reagan.
2: It up get it up I'm giving it I got I got the, got the devil. I get the hope. You're i it. i I'm going to, to Run it. I'm it. I'm the to it. going to i it. going going it.
0: shot the devil off of the 1983 suicidal tendencies debut um now in 1988 they released what most people probably incorrectly cite as their best record how will i laugh tomorrow uh it's high as hell on my list too but the 83 and 88 efforts bookend what i think is their most underrated masterpiece 1987's join the army uh unleashed by caroline and an immediate about face from the debut Gone is the tried and true SoCal hardcore rage. Guitarist Grant Estes was replaced by the almighty Rocky George, and the rest is history. We're faced with a presence that just doesn't just rage. They fucking shredded something savage. don't make a right, but they sure make me feel a whole lot better. (laughs) It's fucking good shit. Uh, Now, I kind of fall off the ST wagon after Light's Camera Revolution. I will say the art of rebellion does boast some catchy fucking numbers. It's easily the weakest link and telling of the direction they take with suicidal and other projects like the ill-advised infectious fucking grooves. Now, can you say travesty? Now, Moving on, onward and forward. Amory Smith left the aforementioned Suicidal Tendencies following their debut. He went on to join forces with the cats that have become The Brood. And here's a project I was oblivious of uh, entirely until researching Pusshead artwork, actually. Um, and I stumbled across a logo he designed for these Venice Thrashers. Uh, their album was released in 86 by Profile. Self-titled, it's not far removed from what suicidal were doing around the same time, but "Scream Southern California" probably more than just about anything else on this list. And based on the debuts, um, <laughs> if any of these projects should have been huge, it's the Brood. Uh, between Amory on the kit, the guitar work of Todd Moyer and Jonathan Nelson, John Flickcraft charging ahead on bass, and Nelson's distinct vocals, the Brood were a diamond in the rough that could have, but never got far enough along to do anything but drop this single release. Jesus, it it smokes. Uh, For my money, every track here is an earworm that plants its teeth and doesn't let go. And they're another example of a very specific time and place. We're going to go ahead and check out Call of the Dog. Next on the docket, the often maligned, much underappreciated Uncle fucking Slam. (laughs) The running mythology was that the Brood ultimately changed their name after some lineup tweaks and became Uncle Slam. But in reality, this was a project that developed a good two years after Amory and Todd pieced out of the Brood altogether. And while the Brood kind of embraced the vibe of SoCal, Punk, and Thrash for their time... Uncle Slam were an ugly embodiment of the vitriol and rage that was also personified by the more metal folks coming from adjacent scenes like Evil Dead or Abattoir. Really, as soon as you saw the unmistakable Michael Seif Seif cover art, again, not my favorite of his, but as I said, unmistakable. You likely knew exactly what they sounded like. Uh, Say Uncle, the debut unleashed in 1988 by Caroline Records. My humblest of opinions, it's their high point. Every song is a raging slab of suppressed ferocity and boiling swagger. The guitar work, like most of these, really the true high point. Solos here, fucking rip. Todd's vocals also perfectly suit the tunage. Hell, without him, these guys would have just been also rans. But there's really no complaining about a record so goddamn concise and straight to the point. Let's check out a track. say uncle that was the prophecy uh, for me the highlight of the record Uh, the band's follow-up was a fully five years (laughs) which at at that point in time was kind of a while uh five years coming not seeing the light of day until 1993 with the hysterically titled will work for food Uh, ed repka art adorns the cover this time around and can't help but remind of the already mentioned evil dead and their annihilation of civilization lp from 89 now, as far as the tunes go, it's business as usual, with a tad more polish. Uh, opener, Back from the Dead, Left for Dead, or, wow, see, now I'm just fucking up. Opener, the opener, can I say it correctly? Back from Beyond, Left for Dead, is epic, and probably to its detriment, because by this time, scenes were shifting to the pulverizing heft of death metal. Um, you now, Uncle Slam commits here though to be fair and if you like the debut it's a pretty safe statement that you'll find plenty to dig with will work for food for me though it falls sort of a little flat almost paint by numbers but we can just refer back to the if it ain't broke sentiment i posted earlier dig this (sighs) And that was the title track off of 1993's will Work for Food, again by Uncle Slam. Another third LP, When God Dies. It's only going to get a passing mention here because by the time it came out in 95, not many people were still repping Uncle Slam, let alone Venice crossover at all anymore. Props though for sticking with their guns and not caving into fully changing their sound to a more sound clone and churning out insincere recycled death metal as a safe play. R.I.P. Uncle Slam, you were, at one point, great. Now, at this point, we are actually going to venture away from Venice. Even though this whole episode is about Venice. Why? The other burgeoning scene at the time came over the brim of Oxnard, California, and spilled onto wax in a wave almost more copious than what we saw Venice give birth to. R.K.L. Ill Repute. False Confession. Aggression. Stalag thirteen. All rep Nardcore, and there were tons of others that seemed to give it up to the infamous Mystic Records. If you're a punk in any facet, you don't have anything in your collection sporting that Mystic yin-yang, it can't help you. Now Dr. No came right on the scene at about the same time, with an OG lineup sporting Brendan Cruz on vocals, and they adhered tightly to the template set by their Oxnard peers. Tight, short bursts of pent-up hardcore fury, but fuck, the musicianship they boasted belied their scene. This shit scathed was Fear of War, a track that has more in common, I mean, to my ears at least, to uh, Crucifix from the Bay Area than anything coming out of SoCal uh, at that point in time. Uh, Now, with the first full-length plug-in Jesus, uh, guitarist Kyle Toucher had taken over vocal duties and had a sneer more reminiscent of a band like Naked Ray Gun, uh, but somehow more accessible to the changeover they embarked upon with 1986's This Island Earth. Uh, right off the bat, their cover of DOA's The Unknown storms through the speakers. And while it's punk as fuck, it leans further into Crossover than the band had at all at that point. Hell, the album was put out by Death Records, who, you know, among other greats, dropped the first Cannibal Corpse LP. Sounded nothing like anything that we've talked about those, so, thus far. Um, now we're going to hear the track I just mentioned, the cover of DOA's The Unknown, the intro to This Island Earth by Dr. No. Check it out. At this point, I've taken the long route to finally talk about the epic, yes, that shit gets thrown around a lot, but epic suits 1988's Wreckage and Flesh perfectly. Also out courtesy of Death Records, the band could easily fit right in with what No Mercy, Beowulf, or Suicidal were doing around the same time, surfy metallic crossover that was apocalyptic as hell, catchy to boot, and boasted legit playing that most nardcore acts we're not able to keep up with RKL tried with their Re- reactivate album. Oh God, the RKL record fucking sucks. Toucher's guitar here wails. Harkin's rhythm acts drives everything forward. And the bass drum of Mike Purdy and Lars White just rules. Uh, they managed to capture the gross seediness that I imagine lined locals only beaches and skate ramps at the time. Unhinged Sabbath style blackness messed with, messed. See, I'm 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 getting to the end here, so that's when I start fucking up even more. Um, I think to my credit, that's maybe only my third time misspeaking. This time around, I could be wrong. If you're counting, tell me. <laughs> anyway, unhinged Sabbath style blackness meshed with the thrash of their Venice neighbors. Nothing darker than wreckage and flesh came from SoCal in 88. And I'll stand by that until the end. We're going to hear Slice of Life. If Dr. No repping the Nardcore scene seemed far removed from the crossover movement in Venice, then these cats are fucking worlds away. Hailing from Sweden, next and last on the docket is Negative Self. Uh, relatively new, too, so no one can say I only talk about the old shit here. Uh, though sadly, Short fucking lived having ended after two crucial records. And the first album, and my favorite of the two, 2015 self-titled release by the almighty High Roller out of Germany. Imagine a band so dedicated to perpetuating the sound that Suicidal achieved with How Well I Laughed Tomorrow and portions of Lights, Camera, Evolution that their entire aesthetic is based on it. I'm not just meaning musically, but to see them on the back of the album, it would be easy to assume they came up right next door to anyone on the roster at Suicidal Records. Now in terms of musicianship, it's straight up ST worship. One or two of these guys came up in crossover acts like Dr. Living Dead and the Swedish Undergang. Uh, both are bruising crossover acts that echo a lot of the best of that scene, but with negative self, they basically zeroed in on a singular sound relevant to the time and place of the topic at hand. Frontman Andreas Sandberg basically presents the entire idea with album art that evokes that Venice image, a skull and a bandana, and then lyrics that topically engage the same angst channeled by Mike Muir himself. Uh, Posy self-empowering ideas veiled under the guise of resentment and regret. The guitar work of Tor Nyman could easily be mistaken for uh, Rocky George. Uh, It might be blasphemy to some, but it's true. Uh, It's so fucking convincing, I can't help but be impressed. His playing is technical and on fucking point. Uh, Bass work is laid down by Frank Gildstrand, and it's solid, a propelling rhythm that matches width with the guitars and accompanies Sandberg on the kit. All the elements here collide and make something that is at once both derivative and exceptional, so check it out. Uh, may seem at this point like I've covered a lot, and I fucking have, but there's a lot more worth looking into that have completely passed by. Neighborhood Watch put out a vital mini LP in 83 that uh, I'd call essential, uh, as well as various tracks spread across Mystic Records comps. Rat Pack were another associated band that, while out of Santa Barbara, still adhered to the sound originally conceived by those first suicidal or wasted youth LPs. Their 1985 EP fucking blisters with that feral SoCal ferocity. The Grim were another mystic staple who later put out a record on alchemy 1988's face of betrayal the toes that line of metallic crossover peddled by their venice peers evil came from santa monica with a killer demo in 89 of half pipe worthy crossover thrash and followed that with another demo just as sick in 1990 all their output ended up compiled on an experiments in fear comp a record that's hard not to get stoked to just killer uh, lastly, gotta mention Six Sense, another obscure Venice gem who put out a killer CD in 98 called El Peasso that emanates that suicidal SoCal vibe probably better than anything else for its time. Just rampaging, blistering Skatecore that wears its influences on its sleeves. And there's obviously more to discover than what I've run through here, but that's the point of these things, uh, is to bring enough of this shit to life for you to get hyped about and start your own digging. Discovering all this isn't fun if it's just handed to you on a plate. And some might argue I've already given you too much already. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I love doing this shit. I just wanna end this by saying thanks for all the hype, love, and support. High defamation out.